Let's celebrate being at church together this morning. Come on. So good to be here today. You made it in the snow. You made it online. Family, we love you as well. And uh, if you're new, we are in a series called The Deeper Life Through Identity. And I'm going to get into that here in just a moment. But uh, man, we are celebrating a lot, but we're a celebrating church, right? Because uh, there's a lot that we can kind of struggle with in life. But when God moves, we want to just celebrate that he's up to something. And last week we had group launch, which uh, twice a year we'll have these, these launches where we'll start some new groups and invite you to join a group. And this is just, this has never happened before. We had 113 people join groups last week. So I'm just amazed. I am blown away that God is not only bringing people into our community and they're getting baptized, but then they're stepping into these, these relationships of discipleship. They're growing in their faith and learning together. And so, uh, man, I'm just overwhelmed by that. Also, a few weeks ago, we launched and, and just shared this big news that we are doing an Easter outreach into Tecotnew this year. We're going to be doing Easter in two locations, which is so exciting. We're going to do five gatherings here in Eagle River, and then we're going to do at least one, maybe more, we'll see, in, uh, in Anchorage at Takatnu. But we've already seen over 100 people say they are going to be a part of Takatnu and Anchorage. So yeah, we, we're just, we're amazed by God at work. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by that. And so for you, you can pull out your phone. If you're thinking about being a part of what's happening in Takatnu and you want to help make that happen, uh, I want you to scan this QR code with your phone. Uh, there's also a meeting after our 1130 service today. You can hear more about what's happening there. But if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, and that's going to be the text that we're in today. We're doing a chapter of Ephesians every single week, and, uh, and then we're, we're moving forward. we got one more week in the series, and then really excited about where God is taking us here next. But we're going to start off in verse 15 of chapter 5. Paul says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen to that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Y'all ready for this? If you're not, it's coming. You guys need to wake up because, man, God's going to speak to us today. And I want you to just consider taking some notes, by the way. If you want to open up a, a note in your phone or whatever you want to take notes on, we're going to cover a lot of ground as we get into this. I don't even have a little cute story to start off with. There's just so much to cover here today. But I'm going to actually start off with the big idea. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll just give you, like, this is the sermon in one sentence. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. And here it is. You can make yourself less without making less of yourself when yourself is defined by Christ. So if you didn't know the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is that he became nothing, Philippians says. 
He took on the form of a servant. And yet what we know about Christ is that he he became nothing, and yet he was everything. He was all-powerful. He was God in the flesh. And so this is so key as we come into this conversation today that we'd understand you can make yourself less without making less of who you are or devaluing yourself only when yourself is defined by Christ. In other words, you cannot live Ephesians 5 if you don't know who you are. And beyond that, you cannot live Ephesians 5 without the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. And I just want you to know this, like, if there was ever a sermon that, that we, as a, as a church family, should be praying, Holy Spirit, come, we can't do this on our own, it would be this sermon. And so this brings up a, a concept and a topic that, uh, that is really popular today, and it's the concept of submission. It's everybody's favorite word. Don't you love to submit? Don't you love the word submission? Isn't it like, man, just so exciting? No, for most of us, we can't stand that word. And I think it's for a few reasons. It brings up a lot of feelings when we think of submission. We think of weakness, right? I mean, nobody likes the feeling of being weak, but man, when we, when we, we feel like we're going to submit, that feels like we're, we're, we're being weak. Or maybe it feels like giving up. Some of y'all, you are competitive. I'm competitive. I like to win. And maybe submission feels like I'm giving up, or the next one, it feels like I'm losing, right? For some of you, the last thing you want in life is to lose. Or maybe for you, uh, submission feels like inferiority. It's not just about something I do. When I submit, it makes me as a person less. And, and I don't want to be less. And so when it comes to submission, there's all this resistance. And I would, I would guess this. I would guess that we all have someone or some people in our lives that we wish would submit to us, and yet we all struggle with submission, don't we? Can you think of anybody in your life that you wish would submit to you? Don't say it out loud. I'm just going to protect you. Also, just side note, be careful when you amen in this sermon. So if you didn't know in this church, I love it when you talk back. I love it when you say amen. It encourages me. The sermon's better when you're talking back to me, but today, be careful with your amens. I'm just going to protect you for the ride home here today. But what is submission? I think we need to define the term so that we're all talking about the same thing. Here's maybe the simplest way I can define submission, and it's this. Submission is an invitation to lead. That's That's what it means to submit, is that you're inviting someone else to take the lead. Dallas Willard explains submission this way. He says, submission is the act of abandoning outcomes to God. When we submit, it's like me, I'm saying, I can't control the outcome anyway, and I'm trusting that God is sovereign and all-powerful over this situation, so I can submit, because I don't need to be controlled because God is. Does that make sense? So it's, it's inviting someone to lead. It's abandoning outcomes to God. Now, as we get into the text here today, I want you to, to, to do one thing. I want you to make sure that you're not thinking about someone else's submission. I want you to make sure you're thinking about your own. It's going to be a real temptation as we go through the text today for you to think, I'm going to text this to someone else in my life. Do not text this sermon to someone, you know, like just be really careful with that because this, this text is, is spoken to us to, to internalize, to ask the Spirit to speak to us. It's not meant to be used as like a, you know, like a weapon against someone else. And so be really careful as we do that. I think the first thing we need to acknowledge as we talk about submission is this, that Jesus was a man of willing and joyful submission. Jesus submitted. Have you ever thought about that? Like, who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God and fully man. 
He is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is infinitely valuable. He's all-powerful, fully capable, fully loved, and accepted within the Godhead. That's Jesus, and yet he's still submitted. So I want you to think about some, some ways that we see this in the Scripture. First, uh, John 5, 19 says that Jesus submits to his Father. It, it, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. In other words, his one agenda in life was to submit to the Father. Whatever the Father's plans were, he was fulfilling those plans. What, what if we submitted that way to the Father? What if when you woke up in the morning, you just looked around, you're like, what is God doing? I'm going to do that. I, I just want to be a part of what God's doing. That's my one agenda in life. We read that Jesus submits to the Bible, right? To the scriptures, Luke 21, 22. He says, I, I do this so that the scripture might be fulfilled, right? Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the, the prophecies of the Messiah. And, and for the same way for us, like when we live, as Christ calls us to, we're fulfilling the scriptures. God's calling to the church to, to, to grow and expand the kingdom of God on earth in Alaska as it is in heaven. We see that Jesus submits to earthly authority in Mark 12, 17. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. We see even, this is so key, you gotta, gotta understand this, that Jesus even submitted himself to our guilt. This is wild. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Jesus, perfect, sinless, God in the flesh, submitted himself to our sin and even to our punishment on a cross that we deserved. And so you can't step forward until you understand that Jesus was a man of submission. In other words, if you want to be like Jesus, we need to learn how to submit, right? You can't be like Jesus if you're like, no, I'm too proud to submit. That's the opposite of the way that Christ lived. And, and, And then we get into relationships. Well, how does this actually look? And before we get into what submission is, we've got to talk about what it's not, right? Because I, I think when I say this word, uh, we have a lot of things in our minds, a lot of resistance because of our experience with that word. And so a few things about submission. First, submission is not blind. In other words, you don't submit so that you don't have to think anymore, right? It's not like, well, I'm just going to blindly follow and not think about what's going on. No, you can submit and have your brain turned on at the same time. I hope you do. I hope in every walk of life, if you're submitting to someone, you are thinking about what's going on. The next one is this. Submission is not always silence, right? To submit to someone sometimes means to speak up, right? You can submit and speak up. In fact, uh, one of the things, I'll just confess to you, uh, when I'm driving with my wife, I really don't like it when she tells me how to drive. I'm just going to share that one. I'm sure none of you you men in the room feel that. I feel that, though. And, and so I, here's what will happen. This happens more than once. We'll be driving, and, and she'll be like, hey, it's this way. And I start getting frustrated, you know? And I'm like, why are you telling me what to do? And then five minutes later, we're on the highway, and I'm just like looking around or daydreaming. And she's like, we're going in the ditch. And I'm like, oh, thank you, right? All of a sudden, I appreciate that she's speaking up, right? Submission is not always being silent because she has saved our lives more than once. There is a time to speak up. Also, submission is not passive. In other words, you don't go, well, I'm submitting, so I'll let whoever I'm submitting to do all the work, right? They're they're in charge, so whatever. I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. This one's so important, especially in 2024. Submission is not agreement. Oh, this is huge. This is huge. Here's what we believe. We believe, I will submit 
once you convince me that I should agree with you. Once I agree with you, then I will submit. And, and this has worked its way into all acts of you know, society, into jobs. I know employers, man, sometimes employers struggle to get people to do anything, right? Like your employer says, sweep the floor. And 30 years ago, when, a, when an employer said sweep the floor, you'd be like, yes, sir. Now when the boss says sweep the floor, people say, help me understand how the cleanliness of the carpet contributes to the mission of our organi- organization. I'll start a focus group on the topic, I'll pray about it, and then I'll come back and negotiate the square footage that I'm actually going to sweep. This is kind of where we're at in society. We don't, we don't just go, okay, I'll do it. Even if I don't agree with it, even if I don't understand it, I'm just going to, to follow, right? This is so important too. Submission is not victimization. This is where it gets kind of real and raw for some of you. Because when you hear this word, man, there's just some really bad blood. There's been some bad experiences right? Somebody has, has lorded this over you and maybe even abused you in this. You need to hear me on this. The rules for submission change when he or she is abusing you. And if you're using submission to manipulate or devalue, you have completely abandoned God's word. Submission does not mean victimization. It does not, the, the rules change, right? It, like, like we can submit but ultimately, as Jesus did, we submit to the Father, right? Over all things. If my submission to you ever leads me not to be submitting to God's will for my life, then I will submit to God first. And so we got to understand that submission is not victimization. And here we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and, and Paul has built a whole context for this passage, right? He's told us about how we need to ho- know who we are, that we are in Christ above all things, right? And every single week, we've been kind of nailing this home that more than anything, the answer to who are you is I am in Christ. I'm not just a father or a pastor or a friend, you know, or a mechanic. I am in Christ. That's who I am more than anything else. And all that we do flows from that reality. And so again, if you don't know who you are, you will not be able to submit because submission will always be a threat to your ego. And if your ego is built on anything other than Christ, we will always struggle with this text. So Paul said, you got to know who you are. Then we've seen him pray that God would work in us in, in ways far abundantly greater than we've ever seen. Like, whatever you've seen, that it's always better. That God's always doing something bigger and better than what you've seen. Then last week, Pastor Cody talked about how the body functions, right? That the body of Christ is supposed to work together with all of the pieces and and that's a beautiful reality. And now he's going to show us this like counter-cultural, outlandish, unheard of, freakish way that Christians would act towards each other and toward the world. And it's an act of submission. And I've entitled this message, uh, uh, th- 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 this message, an uncommon marriage or an unpopular marriage. An unpopular marriage. In other words, like what's working today isn't really working right? And that's really the question you need to ask as we go through this today is like, what people are doing, what is happening in marriage today isn't really working. In fact, the stats are that over 50% of marriages end in divorce today, which for me as a pastor makes me go, I don't know if I want to perform any more marriages, right? I mean, it's like a 50-50 shot, and that's kind of scary, but he starts off not just by going into marriages. He starts off in verse 21 with this reality. If you want to write this down, because we are in Christ, we will joyfully submit to one another. I think a lot of times people skip ahead to the wives, husbands part of this text, which is where it gets fun um, and really interesting, without reading verse 21. 
But verse 21 is the context for the rest of the chapter. You can't skip it. And it applies to all of us. It sets the tone. It says, submit to one another. And not just submit to one another. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, like, when I submit to you, I'm actually submitting to him. Does that make sense? Out of reverence for Jesus and for what he's done for me, I submit to you. Out of reverence for Christ. And I'll tell you this, like, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe your marriage, you think it's going fine, but I don't know how to help you when it's broken because for me, how our marriage has always worked has been based on this reality that we submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus and without Jesus, I don't know how we fix what's broke. Like, he's got to be the center of our marriage. This is why identity matters so much. Once again, we gotta know who we are in Christ before we will submit to one another. So hear me, this is so important. Your relationships and your marriage are not about you. They're about showing reverence to Christ. They're about honoring Jesus for what he's done. And this is why people are so frustrated in their relationships, so frustrated in their marriages, is because we all want the glory. We all want them to be about us. And when your relationships are about you, they will fail and fall apart and be destructive. But he's saying, hey, submit to one another, not because they're submittable, which is how we tend to do it. Is this person submittable to? But he says, submit out of reverence for Christ. And then when when two people understand this, in any relationship, what it turns into is what I would call a submission competition. And some of you have experienced this before where like you're trying to outdo one another with how you can submit to one another, and it's really awesome. Here's a small example. Like you go to lunch with a friend, the bill comes to the table and it turns into like a WWF wrestling match, right, at the table. And you're like fighting it out. I'll pay for the bill. I'll pay for it, you know. Like that's a submission competition. You know, you're trying to make a decision with this person and you're going, well, what, what would you like to do? Well, I don't know. What, what's going on? What would you like to do? In marriage, right? What, where do you want to go vaca- on vacation? Well, honey, what have you been dreaming about? And this is a submission competition and this is how relationships should work. And it always takes one of you to start this kind of thing. Because it's either push-pull, we both want our own way, or it's a submission competition. And once again, it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit and through a grounded identity in Christ in gratitude and reverence for Jesus. So we got that part? Okay. So submission to one another, it's mutual, it's beautiful, and it will show the world the gospel. So that's the first thing. Then we're going to get into wives and husbands. So buckle up, all right? Buckle up. So good. And uh, I'll tell you this, as we get into this, there's going to be a temptation for you to probably look for exceptions. Well, this doesn't apply to me. I just want you to hear the text for what it is, and then go to your small groups this week and have a really great debate about it, okay? So you can take this to your small groups this week. But what I want to do as we walk into this part, this is about the wives. This is where he goes into this. If you're a husband in the room and you're sitting next to your wife, I want you to do something for me. I want you to reach over and just grab her hand. I want you to hold her hand, and now the next part's really important. At no point in the next 10 minutes should you squeeze her hand. Okay, I'm just trying to protect you for the ride home. At no point, do not squeeze her hand. Again, be careful when you amen, but I want you to hold her hand for just a couple minutes. The next point that Paul makes is this. He says, because they are in Christ, they know who they are, wives will, and I want all the wives in the room to say this word with me together, wives will what? Submit to their husbands. Well done, ladies. In this room, like, no men. Last couple services, I've heard some men in that. So anyway, that was was really good. 
Submission. Once again, what is submission? Submission is an invitation to lead. It's when a wife makes the, the decision to, to invite her husband to lead. This is not, again, to make less of yourself, right? It's not to make less of yourself. It's to make yourself less to be somebody who is willing to follow, right? Once again, if you want an uncommon an unpopular type of marriage, a marriage that actually stays together, you're going to have to do some uncommon and unpopular things. And I get that there's a lot of opinions about this, even in the church, even in this room, there might be some different opinions. And I want you to know there's room for how this works out in your household. But I don't want you to write this off. I don't want you to write this off because once again, what we're doing isn't working. Societally, and I think in many ways in the church. And what's happened, I think, in the journey towards equality, which has been a beautiful thing, male and female equality, what we've interpreted equality as is sameness. And I want you to hear me on this. Men and women are different. I shouldn't have to say this, but I am. It's 2024. Men and women, God has created man and woman different, beautifully different, not just biologically, but in, in many ways, very, very different. And, and, and we've, we've, we've gotten rid of that, and it has destroyed, in many ways, the marriage relationship. I think what we've done is we've interpreted equality to mean that everyone gets to lead all at the same time. We're all leading. And and this is kind of, I think, where things start to go off the rails. Um, In fact, so back in December, we had our staff Christmas party. And uh, Jed Carpenter, who's our MC today, many of you guys know and love Jed. You might not know this, but Jed is a, he's a ballroom dancing instructor. And he's, he's like really good. It's awesome. It is, he's got some moves. Jed's got some serious moves. Don't, he doesn't need to show him, Jed. Don't show him on stage later. But he's got some really, really good moves. And so we said, Jed, would you teach our staff to dance at our Christmas party? So he lined us all up, and he said, get across from your partner, and we're all across from our partner. And then he said something really specific. He said, men, I'm going to invite you to lead. Now, why did he do that? I think because he wanted it to be ballroom dancing and not a mosh pit, Right? He knew that it was going to be like broken toenails anyway, but had he said, hey, everybody, lead, it would have been just a total disaster. At some point, there needs to be a, a mantle of leadership, and this is what Paul is placing on the men. Now, here's, here's a caveat. This is important, is that you understand we're not talking about how this like functions uh, like, like what people do in the home. We're not talking about balancing the checkbook or who cooks dinner, right? Because here's what I know, and some of you ladies would agree, is that some of you women should never cook, right? You're like, I am takeout. Amen. I got a believer in the room. Amen. It's takeout. It's Taco Bell. If I'm cooking, like we going out tonight. And some of you men in the room, you should never balance the checkbook, right? You should never have a credit card because it's all going to Cabela's. We know that, right? And so this is not about those type of things. This is about functionality in a marriage and how you relate to one another. Like what he's talking about is a generation of women so grounded who they are and who they are in Christ that they willingly, joyfully, and by choice empower their husbands to lead. That they make that decision. Now, this is important you understand this. Notice he didn't say women should submit to men. Do you know that the Bible never says that? This is important because I'm raising two daughters who I love. And if at any point some little man comes up to one of my daughters and says, you should submit to me because I'm a man, I promise you, he will learn about submission from me. I will teach him all about submission because that's not what it says. It does not say men and women. Women should submit to men. It says 
It says wives to husbands. Then it goes on to something. This is really popular in 2024. He says the husband is the head of the wife. Again, you've you got to hear this not through the lens of superiority. This is about function in a marriage, right? Some of you men hear that and you're like, that's right. That means I wear a crown. Come on. I get to wear the crown in the home. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that if any man wears a crown in the home, it's a crown of thorns. That's the crown you get to wear. So enjoy your crown. Enjoy your crown. He says that because that's what Christ wore. And that's what, as we get into it in a moment, the men are going to be called into. So ladies, question for you. Are you building up his leadership or are you breaking it down? Are you spending your energy building up the things that he's doing well or breaking down the things that he's not? Because what is being said here is that he's calling you to invite your husband to lead. Now, some of you are like, he's failing everywhere. I promise you he's succeeding somewhere. And you can say it's really hard, but, and it might be, but you need to find that one thing that he's doing and you need to make him Superman for that one thing that he's doing well, right? Because if you spend all of your time on those other things, those things will catalyze in his identity and he will become those failures. But if you are his, his biggest fan for the thing he's doing well, I promise you that will begin to spread into other areas of your marriage. Ladies, don't miss this. I want you to write this down. Men will spend their time leading where they feel the most respected. If you're like, man, he's just, he's not a leader, or he's not, a, not doing a good job growing in his leadership. Well, I, I promise you, men will spend all of their time leading where they feel most respected. Here's an example. Why do men tend to get so obsessed with their jobs? Why do they tend to focus on a, like, a, like a sports team that they're involved with, or, or, or some kind of extracurricular activity that they're, they're hunting, they're obsessed with that? Why? Because they feel respected through it. And if you want him to grow in his leadership in the home, you will show him respect and honor in the home. But if you do not want him to grow in that area, you will make him feel like he is not competent in leading in the home. Men always avoid places that make them feel less competent, right? And they're going to run to places that make them feel respected and competent, And now, I know this is kind of controversial, but this is like, he's challenging you to take ownership of your part of his leadership, which is an influencer in that. And I know this is hard to hear, but what if the way your husband leads is a testimony to the way that you've been following? Like, what if it actually says more about you than it does about him? And I know some of you are like, well, it's my job to keep him humble. Where does the Bible tell you to do that, by the way? Like, like, and I just want you to know, he wakes up asking himself the question every single day, do I have what it takes? And in his head are words from his dad, words from people at work, words from old girlfriends, and maybe words from you that are saying, you are a failure. And so I promise you, there's enough in his head and in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep him humble. It's your job to cheer him on. It's your job to lift him up. And if you don't do that, what you're going to fall into is a trap. And it's a trap the Bible calls being a quarrelsome woman. And uh, this is just Bible, so you can, you can send your emails to God later. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs 21.19 says this. It says, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. 
Ouch, right? Ouch. So God says, like, it's better to pack up your tent and wander off into the Alaska tundra than to live in a house with a quarrelsome woman. Just, like, just go leave. That's better for you. Don't say amen right now. Don't say amen. But that's literally what it's saying. Now, some of you women are like, I am not a quarrelsome woman. I will fight you over that, right? (laughs) Again, like, you got to just be honest with yourself. Are you lifting him up? Are you encouraging his needs? And, and ultimately, I think what he's trying to encourage you in this for is for your own good. Like, I, I want to propose to you that when your husband is stepping into the leadership that God is calling him to, it's going to be better for you. That when you serve him, you're actually serving yourself. When you're focusing on his needs, you're actually building up your own needs. And I know this is so hard. We resist this. We want to focus on ourselves first. Like, we even see this in the church, the struggle here sometimes. This is kind of like an in-house example. Uh, back in the fall, we launched something called Forged Men Nights here, which we're, we're super excited about. Uh, we weren't sure what the response was. We saw over, over 200 guys show up that first time, which is hard to get guys together for, like, poker, let alone at a church to worship God. And so we're blown away. But the reason we did that was because statistically men are struggling right now. Do you know that? Mental health for men is way lower currently than for women. The suicide rate for men is exponentially greater than it is for women. In our church, do you know that women, you guys are crushing it, by the way, in our small groups, in our conferences. Whenever we plan an event, the ladies like pack the house. Men, you're struggling a little bit, okay? So we decided we're going to spend some extra energy building up men. And, And so there's two responses. First response from you ladies would be, I am so thankful for this. My husband and my boys need this. Second response would be, when's the women's night? Now, I know none of you thought that. I know none of you thought that. But, and I'm not throwing shade at you, but maybe that's a tendency. And the reality is we're all still like the kid at the dinner table watching mom dole out ice cream into different bowls, wondering if we're going to get as much as the others, right? We all still kind of gauge life that way. But ultimately, here's, here's the deal. When we know who we are, we can, we can invest in someone else's needs knowing that that's going to serve us really well, right? And ultimately, we can celebrate other people's healing because when they get healed, we get healed. Do you know this, man? Like, when the men in our church get healthy, we all get healthy. Like, statistically, if, if, if a woman in a household comes to the Lord, there's a 17% chance that the family will come to the Lord. Do you know if, if a man in a household comes to the Lord, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the household will come to the Lord? There's something that, 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 that God's doing there, and guess where the enemy's attacking the church? Man, he, he, the enemy's attacking men in the church, and we're seeing it. Okay, husbands, you ready? You buckle up. One man is ready. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> buckle up. So ladies, I want you to reach over and grab your husband hand, husband's hand. Same rules go for you. Do not. At any point in the next 10 minutes, squeeze his hand, okay? So he goes forward. He says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Paul is telling husbands to take the lead in sacrifice, to take the lead in giving up your life. So, Here's, here's where I think it just comes off the rails for, for men many times, is I think a lot of men in this room, like, you're, you're working, you're leading, you're doing a lot of things throughout the day, and when you come home, you would say this, there's nothing left to give. There's nothing left to give. And so you actually kind of put your leadership on the shelf, you sit down in your lazy boy, 
and you Netflix for the evening, right? Because there's nothing left to give. Because I did my leadership thing out there, and now I'm home, and I don't want to lead. I just, I'm just here t- telling you today that you never get to take off the mantle of leadership. That hat never comes off for you, ever, ever. And I think this is such a, such a problem. And, and even saying, I've got nothing left to give, here's the problem. You have left nothing to give. And as men, we can blame it on our job, we can blame it on circumstances, but ultimately, you're in charge of your time. You're in charge of your energy management, and if we leave nothing for our families when we get home, we have not served them well. We have not loved them well, and so I think what this, this has led to is a lot of men who are asleep at the wheel. Like God's saying, hey, men lead, and we're in the driver's seat, and we're sleeping, and you're wondering why your wife is terrified. I, my, my grandfather, who's a man I love with all my heart, um, when he was around, he's passed away a few years ago, but he was notorious for falling asleep while he was driving. Got in multiple terrible wrecks, uh, you know, driving and falling asleep. And so we would go on these long trips. I remember when I was a teenager, I'm sitting in the passenger seat and he'd start dozing off and I'd just start smacking him, right? And waking him up on these trips. And, and some of you are like, that's my marriage. That's literally my marriage. And, and I just started to wake him up, right? Now, when you're in the passenger seat and you know that the driver is often asleep at the wheel, guess what you can never do in the passenger seat? Fall asleep rest. And some of you men, you're criticizing your wife for being so high strung, but it's probably because you're asleep at the wheel, right? Now, now many, maybe, maybe you're kind of criticizing me in your mind, and you're like, Brian, you must have one of those really passive wives, right? Those really little, some of you are laughing, you know Amanda, uh, one of these really passive, quiet little wives who she's just like, I just want to sit back here. And you, but for, for 21 years, she has encouraged me to lead. And let me just tell you what, I have not always deserved that. I have not always deserved that. And she has encouraged me to lead. And my wife, she is an eight on the Enneagram. She's a high D. She is everything amazing and beautiful about female leadership. If there's a leadership vacuum, she's like sucked right into it. Like she will fill. And I just promise you, if I fall asleep at the wheel, she's going to run to the front of the bus to save everybody's life to grab the steering wheel. And some of you men are like, man, why is she grabbing the steering wheel? Why aren't you leading? Why are we asleep at the wheel? And I think passive men, honestly, are destroying marriages and homes right now. Passive men are destroying marriages and homes. I would say that the passive men are creating weak churches. Like if you're sitting here, men, and you're going, I sure hope that she works on her part and you're not thinking about how you can work on yours, you're the problem. If we're talking about any issue in the church, right, that's going to affect your home life and might be a sacrifice, and in your mind is a narrative that goes like this, I hope she doesn't bring that up. Like we're talking about money, you know, and tithing and trusting God financially. And you're like, oh God, I hope she doesn't bring that up, right? If that's you, you are abdicating your leadership away from yourself. And God is inviting you to lead. I think of our church. So here's a just, again, an in-house example of just even in worship. So man, you are leading right now. Do you know that? Like if you're paying attention, your wife's watching to see if you're asleep at the wheel. You are always leading in every way. When we worship, do you know that you're leading? You're leading the people around you. You're leading your family. Like, people are watching. We do these prayer times where once a month we invite you forward. And we say, hey, if you need healing, come to the front of the stage. We're going to pray for you. Do you know who the first people are to the front of the stage? The women. And I'm, I'm sitting in the back. I'm always watching. I, just in case you didn't know, I'm always, I always try to run up and get prayed for, even if I don't need it. In the moment, like, I always need prayer. But even if I'm not feeling some specific need, because I'm like, part of me is going, men get with it, you know? 
Because here's the thing. Either you are not even in the fight so you don't need prayer, or you don't know the fight you're in, which is equally as terrifying for me as a pastor. And so to me, here's, here's what, what, what would be just a beautiful image, is when we offer prayer, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a flood of men at the front of the stage going, pray for me first. When we are worshiping, it's the men with their hands in the air saying, God, I want to lead in worship. It doesn't matter how you feel. Like, crush your ego, right? You don't get to be a leader and be egotistical at the same time. Like, they don't work well together. This is all about submitting ourselves to a higher plan and to the needs of the people around us. What is Paul saying to men? He's saying, because they are in Christ, husbands will, I want you men to say this word with me, they will what? Sacrifice for their wives. Once again, I want you to just consider this reality. Maybe the way, the way your wife is following you is more a testimony to, to the way you've been leading her than to her heart. Like maybe, maybe she's following the way she's following because of the way that you've been leading or not leading. And I'm telling you what, like for most women in the room, like they want you to lead. And, and they're just, but, but they're not sure they can trust you. They're not sure that you're going to lead. There's this show that's really popular uh, called Yellowstone. Um, don't raise your hand that you've seen it. It's completely inappropriate. I've just heard stories. I've never seen the show. And um, there's two characters on this show, uh, Rip and Beth. Rip and Beth. And uh, I'll just tell you what, like, if you see things out online, the ladies, they like Rip. They, they just like Rip. Now, why do the ladies like Rip? Is it because he's handsome? Probably. He is a pretty handsome dude. But here's what, here's, here's what I think is happening, is when they watch the show, they're both their own crazy brand of insanity. Like, if you watch, watch them, like, they're both kind of off the rails. But here's the thing. No matter how crazy Beth gets, Rip always loves and honors her. And I think, honestly, that's for, for, for the ladies in the room. Like, when you feel loved... Man, that's just, that's, that's a massive deal to you being willing and desiring to follow. So I'll tell you this, like there's some things I think we as men need to just get out of our language so that we start to own our leadership. Like there's a phrase that, I think it came from the South, some of you might know it. It, it, it starts with this, if mama ain't happy, finish it. Ain't nobody happy. I'm just going to propose that we in this church never say that phrase again. Because I hear men say it all the time. Well, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'm always like, really? That is, that is to say you have no control over the environment of your home. Like you, you can't do anything to change the environment if your wife isn't happy. What if we changed it to this? If mama ain't happy, I will love her into her joy. I will take ownership of her lack of happiness. I will do everything within my power as a human being to love her into her joy. And I just promise you, when she feels loved, there will be more joy in your life and in your home. So what kind of love can we give to our wives? Well, there's different types of love in the Bible. There's phileo, there's eros, but the, the type of love that's spoken about in this text is agape love. It is a sacrificial love to the point of giving up your life. And the model for this love, who is the model for agape love? Jesus. Jesus is the image, the physical image of agape love, and what did he do? He, he went straight to the cross for the bride. Who's the bride? We are. The church is the bride. Jesus dies for the bride. Listen to this, Ephesians 5.29, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
because we are members of his body. In other words, when you become a married couple, she doesn't join your family, you don't join her family, you start a new family. Does that make sense? You become one flesh together. So men, the way you care for her is the way you care for yourself. And if we're honest, sometimes we care for our own physical bodies more than we care for our wives. You know, like the amount of creatine you eat, how, how often you're going to the gym. Like how much time do you spend building into that relationship, having honest conversations about where you're at? I mean, this is such a bit. He's saying nobody would just, you know, fail to support and care for their own bodies. Like she is your body. You are one flesh. So when you love her and sacrifice for her, you are sacrificing for yourself. And ultimately, the way that God is calling the marriage to operate is in two things, submission and sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice. And, and here's the deal. This is how we reverse the curse in this world. Do you know we live in a cursed world? And it's seen in the marriage relationship. It's seen in just constant divorce and, and abuse within relationships. Like we live in a cursed world. It goes all the way back to Genesis. We read in the, in the garden, God creates man and woman. Perfect unity with one another and with God. Right? Then sin enters the world, and it, and it says that then there's, a, there's a curse on man and woman. It says the woman then will desire after the man. And men, that doesn't mean what you think it means. It means that she will desire to lord over the man. That's the curse. She's going to desire to lord over the man. And that the man will work the ground, and, and he will hate his work. It'll always feel just like a grind, right? And then Jesus shows up. This is so key. Jesus shows up. And he willingly submits to the work of the Father. And he joyfully, for the joy that was set before him, goes to the cross, enduring the shame that we deserved. So Jesus literally reverses the curse. And then he calls you, us, as, as people. And then married couples to a vision to reflect that reversal to the world, to share literally the gospel with the world by the way you submit and sacrifice for one another. That is, that's the calling that you have in your marriage. I don't know why you chose to get married. Most couples have a vision for their marriage that goes like this. I'm so excited about the wedding. And that's it. But for marriage to really work, you need a bigger vision for your marriage. And the big vision is this. We are the church. We are the church. Christ is the bridegroom. And he's returning one day for his bride. And we have been rescued from our sin. When he should have abandoned us, he ran to us. When he had every right to shame us for our sin, he became an offering of grace. When he could have left us to rot in our own self-made sinful circumstances, he pulled us out of the pit, set our feet on the rock, and gave us a new name. And this is the image of what Christ does for the church, and this is what we get to show the world through the way that we sacrifice and submit to one another. So what's your next step? I want you to grab your action card off your seat. And just consider taking a next step today. This is just something, if you're new, we do this every single week. You might be sitting on it or it's under your seat somewhere. But I want you to tear that part off the bottom and drop it in one of the baskets on the way out. And I just encourage you, maybe your first step is to start following Jesus. If you're like, maybe, maybe I should start following Jesus and that that could fix and help my marriage. I just, I promise you, it will help your marriage. It, it definitely will help your marriage. I mean, do it for you first, but... It's going to help in all of your relationships. And maybe you need to start there. Maybe your next step, because you're here and you're like, Brian, I'm not married. I don't know what this 
whole sermon is about for me, well, it's about submission and sacrifice. Maybe you need to eat last, enter last, go last, and be last this week. That's how Jesus lived his life. Maybe you ladies are here going, I need to build up my husband. I am a quarrelsome wife, and I don't want to admit it. Maybe husbands are like, um, I do love her, but I don't show her. You say it often, and you need to show her, and you need to say it. And you need to not just tell her that you love her, you need to tell her why you love her tonight. And you need to sit down and lead the way and offer to pray for her. Say, honey, how could I pray for you? And you need to start leading the way in your family and opening the word of God together and starting to take steps to lead. And maybe that's you going, I'm going to show love to my wife, not just say it. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this word. We, we know that this is a hard word, and yet all your words lead to life. So God, I pray that you'd help us to see what it is that we need to do. Father, don't waste this word on us. We, we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we could be convicted of changes we need to make. God, where there has not been love, may there be love. Where there has not been submission, may there be submission. Where there has not been sacrifice, may there be sacrifice in our church. Father, heal broken marriages today. God, set people free today, we pray. Pray you'd work miracles, God. And God, I know there's someone in the room who thinks that there is no hope for the relationship that they have. God, I pray that you would give them hope today. We know there's no hope in what we can do, but there is all hope in the power of the Spirit through us. God, we love you. We worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.